Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back in the building. We have had about a month or so off, and I'm going to go pre-jinx. I'm just going to get it out of the way. The broadcaster's jinx before we even begin. Uh, We're going no glitches, okay? Our clock is already, the studio clock is already a little off. The host and I are already experiencing a little delay. But we will take a 10-second delay so long as we don't get cut off. And I'm just putting that on the table right now and, and getting the pink, uh, addressing the pink elephant in the room. What say you, Mr. Host? Uh, I say it's amazing. Two things. One, it's amazing how the uh, the recorded voice from our hosting service is so crystal <laughs> clear and beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, Notice uh, that as we, well. And we have to experience technical difficulties periodically. But one other thing, um, even though we've been on the air going on, uh, um, we're in the middle of our fourth year, Come, you know, October will finish four, four years, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, this, I think I'm finally offended by our intro person uh, saying, don't listen to us because we don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> 
That's pretty funny. I actually, I was just going to make a comment that, uh, in fact, the views and opinions that I express on this show are indeed the views and opinions of OCG. I'm going to put that out there right now. We are in lockstep. Anything I say on this show, OCG fully endorses and is behind. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. So we're we're back. We're back. Yep. We're, we're feeling good. You feeling good? I'm feeling good. I'm ready. So, uh, what have, what were you doing during this uh, five week break that we took? So, uh, one thing that was done, and I'm sure you'll you'll touch on it maybe a little bit here, but the uh, all the sites we had at our common ground were ramping up for a BHRS audit, uh, and so the um, the uh, BHRS and the county came by to audit the. Uh, programs and policies and procedures and inner workings and outer workings of our organization uh, from residential all the way through to IOP. And, uh, and so that was, that was a big thing. So that was occupying uh, the majority of my time for sure. um, As far as, you know, uh, trying to ensure that everything on the, the residential or TC side of things or the TC side of the component um, components of each of our programs was up to snuff uh, as good mm-hmm. as they could be, um, you know, for my own responsibilities from the, from the multiple sites. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, that's kind of the sense I got from anybody who was in a, who's in a managerial position that we, we needed to be all hands on deck and get ready for that. And um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you, you were in the same, the same boat. So that was the, uh, that was the main thing that we were getting ready for. I think this took place not last week, but the week before, mm-hmm. uh, the week of the 25th of May, I want to say, uh, or the 22nd. I'm not sure what, what date that week started on, but that it week. The, yeah, the last full week of May. <clears throat> yep, yep. And so, so uh, I'm I'm actually not sure. I was a part of the exit, exit interview and was told that, she was very pleased and it went very well, but haven't gotten any official report. I assume you may have. I have not, but um, as I've mentioned to a few others that experience has taught me not to judge based on uh, what anyone says until you actually get the report. And, uh, <laughs> true, true. O- o- oftentimes you get the report and this is what the report says. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're, the exit interview is greeted with smiles and handshakes, and you guys are right. all so great, such great people. You guys are doing great things here, and the report comes, and you're 30 days away from shutting your doors. They get called up to the state capitol, and they're like, what the <laughs> hell is going on down at your program? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, we'll we'll hope that that can be avoided, but uh, yep. but that that's basically what, what everybody was doing. Um, and then the week after, uh, I don't know if now is when you want me to get into, to the, the travelings, the Midwest travelings. Sure. Why not? But yeah, so no better way to end uh, a week long audit than to take a flight and get the hell out of state. So that's exactly what I did. My wife and I, uh, took a little, took a little trip to the Midwest uh, my wife went to the University of Chicago. For those of you out there listening from the East Coast, Midwest to East Coast, and I had never been to Chicago, so she was dying for me to see where she went to school, and she still got some of her friends that live out there. 
uh, and so to spend some time with some of her friends. Uh, and so we we explored Chicago. Uh, just so happened, Wrigley Field, the Cubs were hosting the San Francisco Giants. So I was able to be present in Wrigleyville for that, which wearing mm-hmm. my Giants colors, of course, which was a pretty mm-hmm. cool experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after we spent some time in Chicago, uh, we drove to St. Louis, uh, checked out St. Louis for a couple of days. Um, St. Louis was cool. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely a unique, different kind of feel, much slower pace out in the Midwest, mm-hmm. uh, Midwest for sure, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but St. Louis was, was real nice. And then we drove to Nashville and uh, did a couple days in Nashville, and that was neat. I was wearing my 49ers gear there to remind all Tennessee Titans fans as I was touring their stadium that uh, Mr. Garoppolo's first win of his 5-0 and start was against your playoff-bound Titans. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> always rub it in the face a little bit. But the majority, I'm wearing my Warriors colors out there the majority of the time since, uh, you know, football is not actively in season right now. But the Warriors uh definitely playing right now. And so Nashville was neat. And then we ended in Indianapolis. We drove back up and, and ended in Indianapolis and got to check out the, the Motor Speedway and where the Indy 500 takes place. And Got to check out the little statue of Peyton Manning there out in front of Lucas Oil Stadium, which was pretty neat. And uh, then, then the flight, then, then we flew back home. Uh, the flight back home, and I don't know if you could explain this, the flight and aviation master and scientist that you are, but I don't know if there's some sort of mountain range over Iowa or what, because uh, sky was clear as day, and we were on. Six Flags newest roller coaster, my friend, let me tell you. <laughs> and uh, I didn't say, and I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience. So originally our flight path, uh, there was no, when we booked this flight, there was no direct flight from Chicago back to uh, San Francisco. We had to fly there. It was a direct flight, but coming back, we had to fly from Chicago to Seattle and then there's like a three over lay, a three hour layover in Seattle, and then from Seattle back to SF. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to check in Chicago for our flight, uh, we asked, you know, if there were any upgrades available. You know, it's always good to check because last minute they're trying to fill stuff. Sometimes you can get a real good deal. And so she's pulling up the computer and she says, is there a reason you guys aren't flying directly to San Francisco and you're doing this flight? And I explained to the lady when, when we booked this trip six months ago that there was not that option. We would love to fly directly. And she said, yeah, there is an option to fly directly. She said, it, it, you, you won't leave for two hours later from here in Chicago than you were supposed to, but you'll actually end up landing about an hour and a half earlier than you would have because there's there you know there's no interchange in seattle and there's no layover over there all right and so we said okay you know what's that going to cost us you know because typically oh there's a flight change fee and then you know you may not get reimbursed for the little fees that you already paid for this trip so uh she says for 150 bucks per ticket I will get you on the nonstop flight from here. I will also refund the extra fees you paid, which I believe was about 50 bucks a person. So that knocked the change down to a hundred bucks per ticket. 
Mm-hmm. But in addition to the nonstop, I'm going to put you two on in first class. And so we've, we're flying first class from Chicago nonstop for an extra hundred bucks. Okay. And uh, so that I'm um, hey uh, that that's good because you know for anybody who flies regularly, a flight from Chicago or even further east, the further you go, first class, the difference between that and a regular seat is usually several hundred dollars. Um, you know, could even be up to a thousand bucks more sometimes. So for a hundred dollars to not only get, you know, I didn't tell her this, but in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I would have considered paying a hundred bucks just to get on the nonstop flight, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the upgrade to first class. But anyway, all that to say is, so we are in seats one a and one C the first two seats on the plane. So the cockpit is like right there, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're sitting there, I'm checking out the controls and everything else. And so my wife who at this point is probably far more terrified of turbulence than I am, uh, is asleep, okay? Because uh, you got people coming off the plane, talk, you know, and this is in Chicago, and, and you warned me that Chicago can be very turbulent flying in there because of the Great Lake. Uh, and, and it was looking a little gloomy, a little overcast, and there's people coming off the flight like, oh, man, what a shaky flight that was. So my wife's anxiety is already going up. And then you've got a pilot like doing like a staff turnover, like we do here at the program telling the other pilot, Oh yeah, about an hour out, there's a good amount of bumps or whatever. And so she's like, you know, Oh my goodness. Uh, she said, before we take off, I'm going to try and fall asleep because I can't, I can't be present for this. So, uh, she tries to go to sleep and I swear to God to you, I swear to God to you, Mr. Host, I hear some sort of communication from the pilot to, I assume, what would have been air traffic control. I don't know if pilots can talk to other pilots while in air through their headsets. I assume they can only communicate with air traffic control. Uh, But I heard something coming into the cockpit, some sort of communication. uh, And I couldn't really make it out, but it had something to do with turbulence. Like we were were flying into an airspace where other pilots had recently passed through it and experienced a good amount of turbulence. And there must have been some sort of option given to the pilot where, hey, you can either it's going to be a bumpy ride and you can fly through it or we can like reroute you a little bit. Right. So you can fly around it and it might add some time or whatever. No, I'm good. And so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so without hearing all the details of air traffic control, all I hear is the pilot's response verbatim. No, we'll just fly through it. And I said, oh, my God, okay, I'm glad my wife didn't hear that and she's asleep because she might go into a full heart attack right now. And sure enough, about 10 minutes after he said that, seatbelt light, come on. He, he's telling people, uh, the flight attendants on the announcing system, have a seat. It's gonna, you know, we're going to go through a bumpy patch before we get to clear air. And for a solid, you know, 10 minutes, that sucker was rocking and rolling. Woke my wife out of a dead sleep. She's getting teary eyed. It's it was a it was a bumpy ride. So I'm just trying to calm my wife. Like, look at the flight attendant. Even though she's sitting down, she's playing with her eye watch. She's laughing. She's having a great time. Like, you know, no one's worried. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, somewhere over Iowa. Again, I looked on the little map on our little flight track, and somewhere over Iowa, we we hit a solid patch. But after that, it was pretty much smooth sailing and got back an hour and a half early and so that was that was the adventure that was the adventure
Mr. Host, are you there? Can you hear me now? Okay, folks, I, uh, the jinx, boy, trying to get it out on the front end clearly didn't help much. So I am uncertain as to whether or not we are on the air still. I think I have lost the host, and I don't know if you all can hear me. Uh, so what we're going to do is we are going to take a quick music break. I hope that the, the host isn't attempting to talk to you all right now, and maybe it's just my own headset that cut out, but I certainly am not getting any communication. Uh, so in the sake of safety first, we will drop a music break and see if we can't figure this out. song short there a little bit i assume based on what the host is saying that he can hear me and so that must mean that you all can hear me out there over the airwaves and it's just something to do with the host's connection where he is not being heard uh so we actually it looks like we actually have the host calling in right now uh through another means of connection so we're going to patch the host on through and see if we can't uh we can't get the situated here and get our host back online uh, Mr. Host, are you there? Is that you calling in from a ghost line? <laughs> yeah, this is the line we put in place to for the just-in-case. <laughs> the just-in-case line. Unbelievable. Well, uh, you know, I did tell the audience, I hope, uh, I hope getting it out on the forefront wasn't the, wasn't the curse, the, uh, the wicked curse there, but we do have the backup plan in place. And, uh, I guess as a, as a, precursor out there to the audience will just say this is usually a sign uh, that eventually our our host connection will drop off and i believe once 
once the host disconnects, everything else goes by the way the wayside. But at least on the on the big board here, you're still connected, but there's just an issue with your line. So uh, as long as you're still the host is still connected, we can chat with you on the just in case line. Yep. All right. So, so where we left I off heard, was I heard everything uh, that you said. Okay, we just didn't get you your response. So one of the things I said, I said it was good enough for you because you shouldn't have changed your flight plans. But anyway, uh, uh, I see. Sitting in, first, sitting in first class, you're gonna you're gonna feel more turbulence, just like if you sit way in the back of the plane. But what aircraft were you guys on? Uh, Alaska, and so they were currently using one of their Virgin America Airlines because those two airlines have merged. They merged back in March, uh, I guess. Okay, so that, yeah, you want an Airbus 320. We were on an Airbus on the way out, but on the way back, for whatever reason, we were on a Boeing. A Boeing what? Do you know? I don't. I'll ask my wife for the itinerary when I see her and send it to you later on. But okay. I know she said, because she always keeps her eyes peeled on that ever since we've talked to you about our travels with your airplane knowledge. And she said, oh, we're flying a Boeing on the way back. And we always feel a little safer about that because of your your analysis there. So I don't know what the Boeing was. I can tell you that it was two uh, – it, it was three seats – Per side with just one aisle down the middle. I don't know how much information that gives you, but none, <laughs> none. And also, it was direct from Chicago to SF, so I assume that's a fairly, it's like a longer kind of flight. So maybe they're using one of the bigger, the bigger jets for that. Although I don't know if they need a real big jet for that kind of flight. It was only like a four and a half hour, four hour flight. No. All right, well, you guys made it back despite your turbulent experience, but uh, that's par for the course when you fly. So That's right. That's okay, right. So. Indeed, we did. And, and we'll say we'll put Chicago and Nashville up as probably the two maybe more happening and exciting cities that we saw, whereas St. Louis and Indianapolis felt uh, quite laid back, not, not nearly as busy. Okay, good stuff. All right, to a little bit of quick news before we get into our Hit us with it. All right, so every six months or so, we kind of pull a report to see what our uh, listening region statistics are uh, worldwide. And I think we started – we've done this – this will be the third time we've done this. And always the U.S. always comes in first, obviously. Um, but we're always curious as to who the next two, spot number two and spot number three countries are, because those are usually the largest samples. So we got the U.S. at 44.87%. New Zealand okay. taking the, the second spot away from uh, the last time's second place. Uh, at 34.61%. Wow. Um, not sure what's going on in New Zealand. South Africa dropped down to third place, 15.38%. You gotta, they got to step their game up, old South Africa, huh? Listen, I, I, I ain't got no issues with South Africa. It's the fourth <laughs> one that I have an issue. It's the fourth one I got an issue with, and that's the U.K. Oh, the United okay. Kingdom. My wife's hometown, 
2.53%. Yeah, 2.53%. They got a lot of nerve. With all, all that the U.S. has done for them over the years, last 240 years, all that we've done for them, for them to be coming in at fourth place, they need, they need to step up their game. That's very true. I couldn't agree more. What's going on out there in the U.K.? Let's let's tap in. Let's listen up. So, so those are the stats. All right. Six months. All right. Those are the – so New Zealand, huh? New Zealand, we got Stepped maybe a game. lot of – a lot of a lot of head trauma out there from all the rugby players, and they're uh, they're listening in to try and find some inner peace with Roach on recovery here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Good stuff. That's Good funny. Stuff. All right. Um, topic du jour. I'm ready. I'm ready to hit the topic. Let's do it. Let's get into the topic. Let's dive right in. So our topic today is uh, caving to cravings. And one of the things that we know is there are two things that, although significantly important to the recovery process, we've acknowledged that when people are in the treatment environment, that these two things probably don't get talked about as much as they should. Uh, One was... uh, Relapse. Yeah. People, uh, you know, feeling like they want to use and then acting off of it. And then two are cravings. Because one thing is certain. If you go into treatment of any modality, residential, outpatient, doesn't make a difference. To try and get your recovery game on and get out of that addict lifestyle. Um, you are certainly at some point in time, some moment in time, to one varying degree or another, going to experience cravings. And I think industry-wide, we have to be a little bit more proactive in having discussions around that because I am certain a lot of clients, uh, for lack of a better expression, suffer in silence. Meaning, we know for a fact that, especially in the residential environment, there are a lot of triggers that people may experience cravings behind. And all of that is normal, is absolutely normal. And I don't think we spend enough time talking about how normal it is, because you know how addicts can be. Uh, Sometimes they think uh, that they're the only ones in the world experiencing a certain thing. Yeah. When when in fact what they're experiencing is is normal and commonplace to the addict themselves and the recovery process. Um, the other thing we know about addicts is that, <laughs> put it another way, is uh, and we kind of try and take this out their bellies that they sometimes think they're special in that regard, that they're the only ones experiencing that or the only ones feeling that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Everyone, at, at, like we said, at some moment in time goes through that, experiences that. Um, what may change for each person at any moment in time is the reason why they may be experiencing cravings. So one thing 
that is certain is this. There's primarily like three categories for cravings or three categories that would be the cause. I like to call them the three P's, the letter P in the alphabet, three P's. Okay. The the physiological reason. So this would be like, for example, somebody who is addicted to opiates, and so they're experiencing withdrawals. And instinctively, the, the person doesn't want to feel the withdrawal, so they they crave the drug that would alleviate that. Then there's the psychological, and those can be dreams, those can be emotional upset, those can be mental health struggles. So that's a pretty broad area, the psychological. And then okay. you have the physical environment, the physical environment. Sure. And under that, under that, I'd like to I like to call them the uh, the nouns, so the people, places, and things. All right. So those, for me, are the three kind of major areas under with with uh, people might be triggered or cravings may be jump started. Now, in the traditional model of treatment that we're used to, that would have been the, the Daytop model, uh, the Phoenix House model, the Samaritan Village model, which is now the Samaritan Daytop model back east. Mm-hmm. Um, and the model I'm talking about in terms of the physical environment is the, the upstate or the out-of-the-urban-area treatment centers. Um, so going up into the rural mountain areas, that's where your treatment centers are located for the predominance of, of the treatment experience. And then people coming back into the urban locations for their reentry into society and the, the process of reintegrating and uh, jump started getting your life back rolling again. Okay. So by, by having that physical model, they kind of help take away the, physio- the physiological and the physical, meaning, you know, by the time you went, got to the upstate treatment environment, you know, the withdrawal aspects are done or dealt with because they weren't, al- they weren't allowing you to go to your, the place where you were going to do the bulk of your treatment until all of those issues were resolved. Because we certainly didn't want anyone in the upstate facilities kicking dope. You know what I'm saying? We didn't want them up there. So it was better served and better dealt with downstate. This way, if there needed to be any medical assistance, it was available. Sure, sure. Things of that nature, right? Yeah, that and makes then, sense. And then the physical environment... <clears throat> being upstate, you were away from the usual triggers. So obviously the environment upstate or in a very rural place would be very different if you were getting high in the city um, or any urban location. And so this kind of eliminated that. Now, the only one of the nouns that didn't take away were, were people. And that only applied to, for example, if you ended up in treatment with somebody you knew from the outside. And you guys engaged in addict behavior together. 
So if that was the case, and by the way, that was pretty I wouldn't I won't say pretty commonplace, but it was reasonably commonplace because you know a lot of people knew each other in the five boroughs. So it, w- it wouldn't be unusual for you to go into the facility and when you have a facility of 250 people that there might not be one person that you may have known from the outside. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So, but with with that exception, the predominance of the experience would be that the physical environment would have been taken care of. So the majority of people you didn't know, you, didn't, you certainly didn't know any of the places, and there were certain no things up there that would trigger you. So we you could, yeah. By, go ahead. Yeah, no, so that makes sense. So, yeah, you, we essentially eliminating the amount of things that could come into play as some sort of uh, distraction or, or something that might – have you feeling any other way than being open to to the treatment process? We're trying to eliminate as much of that on the front end as possible until you're strong enough to maybe experience some of that on the back end. Right. So that only leaves the psychological aspect, which is huge, obviously. Um, but whether this was intentional or not, I do not know. But however, that is the way that it was kind of set up. So we're left with to deal with our own emotions, our own, uh, our own mental being, so to speak, and how, you know, cravings tie into that. Here's the interesting thing about the psychological reasons. One of the things I used to hear often, at least in my treatment experience, is how this is a self-help program. And what that means is that you have to be proactive in seeking assistance, seeking help. You can't be passive. In other words, yes, there are going to be times when treatment is going to come at you, okay? But the majority of times you have to go after it and bring it, and bring it towards you. Self-help. So I got to go out there on my own and grab it and bring it towards me and then use what comes towards me. So with that, anyone who is experiencing cravings that are rooted in emotional things, mental things, dreams, whatever, okay, anything that is under the psychological umbrella, you have to be very proactive in order to, one, understand them, develop, seek out and develop coping mechanisms for them because since they're not uh, physiological and they're not in the physical environment, it only relies on the addict to reach out. Now, of course, excuse me, we can, you know, say we can be vague and we can be general and we can talk to the addict and say, well, most people, most addicts would be experiencing this, but everybody's different. So you can apply generality to everybody. Of course you can. But right. if you want to deal with the uniqueness of the person, they have to bring it forth. So that's the, one of the most difficult things when you want to assist someone with dealing and coping with their cravings is 
having them come forth with some of the root stuff behind it. Because whenever someone has come to me and said, hey, you know what? I'm really craving my drug of choice right now. That opens up the door for a series of questions. So I can kind of dig into where this may be coming from. What's triggering this? Sure. And if they're, you know, honest and, and, and willing and forthright with the information, you can then guide them to some coping mechanisms to uh, help alleviate the craving. Now, you know, we're famous for our acronyms. Oh, so here, here we got one, there, huh? There, yeah, I got one. There, there is an acronym that deals with, uh, helps people in, in recovery with cravings. Uh, we didn't make it up. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it belongs to an entity that's called the Smart Recovery, folks. And it's called DEADS, D-E-A-D-S, DEADS. It stands for Delay, Escape, Accept, Dispute, and Substitute. So let's go with uh, let's let's go over that a little, little briefly. Delay is the reason why it's first. Because if there's the if someone says, well, what's the most important thing in regards to dealing with cravings? I would say, without even looking at this, the most important thing is being able to having the discipline and the self control to wait it out. Instinctively, i.e. your old instincts, respond to it, react to it negatively. That means I feel like using, I want to use, boom, I'm going to use. There has to be something in between the craving and then the action. Because if there's nothing in between there, it's just going to go from what you feel, boom, to then what you do. Yep. And if there's that instantaneous response, usually, usually, especially if you're not a decent ways down the road in your recovery process, usually that instantaneous response is your old response. So we want to create some 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 gap. One of the few times <laughs> one of the few times you'll hear us say in the recovery process where time and distance where time and distance is going to work. We want to create some time and we're going to create some distance. Some distance between when you feel that craving, experience that craving, to when you respond to it, and some time between when you experience it and what you do. We don't want that old instinctive reaction because usually, historically, it's been negative. So we want to move away from that. Okay. So what we do know is that cravings dissipate and disappear over time. So their intensity over time dissipates. And eventually the cravings, if dealt with appropriately, eventually go away. The problem has been that the addict has not allowed that experience to take forth. 
if the response has always been, hey, you know, I feel like using, so they use, they never experience what it's like to feel like using, have that craving, and not respond to the craving. Yeah, Without, yeah, yeah. Never got that time. Never got that time never, and distance. Never experienced it. So the goal is now to try and get put that delay in there to allow okay. them to experience what happens if they allow the, that, that feeling, that craving, to just run its natural course without negatively reacting and responding to it. When you start to experience denying those urges and those cravings, you're doing two things. Number one, you're putting that experience in your back pocket, a positive experience, a positive response to a craving. So now you have experience dealing with it in a positive way, and that just kind of bolsters your confidence, your self-esteem in this arena to say you, you can do it. I've done it. I know I can do it. Things working to your advantage. You have time, meaning that, wow, the further I get down my recovery process, my recovery road, I know that these cravings are going to spread out. They're not going to just be coming at me back to back to back to back like waves crashing on the shore. They're going to, you know, maybe from once a week to once a month to once every two months, once every three months, they'll start to spread themselves out. But in order for you to experience that, you cannot respond to them negatively. So it's like a give and a take. Here we go again, that no free lunch. <laughs> in order to get something, you got to give something you gotta up. You got to give something up, yep. You know what I mean? Because there's a give and take there. You want, you want to experience that? Then all, what, what the universe is asking from you is, okay, then you have to just, what you have to give to me is I'm not going to respond to it. I'm going to allow myself to experience the feeling of the craving and allow it to just run its course and pass on through so I can experience what that feels like. I know I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to pass away. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. And once I live through that experience, and I'll be able to do it again and again and again and again. And each time when the again comes, we'll be further down the road from the last time. So it's not like every time it's going to be once a week, once a week, once a week forever. No, it's not going to, that's not the way it works. Each time you experience it and put it behind you, it stretches out longer and longer and longer until they just go away. And, of course, in between all that, you're doing your work. So all of that works hand in hand. It's amazing how it works. Love how it works. It's almost divine how it works. So D stands for delay. E, escape. So sometimes in the recovery process, you might be in a, in, you might be under the physical realm that may be triggering a craving. It may be people you're around. It may be a place that you're at. It may be a thing that's in your environment. Who knows? You must be able to identify it, though. Can't be a mystery. You must, wait a second, which unwritten philosophies that bring into play? To be aware is to be alive. You must know exactly what is causing the feeling you're experiencing in order to counterbalance it. That's right. I believe that was my number one overall draft pick. It's very possible if we recall that. 
Yeah, don't worry. We will get we we will <laughs> find out how your draft picks are working through OTAs and training camp at a at a later show. Yes, <laughs> yes. He, uh, Mr. Producer is referring to our last show, which was the uh, unwritten philosophy drafts that we did. That's right. But that's for another. That's another story. So, under escape. If you are caught in a physical paradigm that is, you know, creating these cravings, you have to, like I said, be aware of it so that you can act on it, i.e., remove yourself from the environment, remove yourself from the circle of people that you might be around that might be triggering the cravings or the thing that might be in your environment that's triggering the cravings, whatever it may be, okay, you have to have an escape plan to remove yourself from it. Now, there must also be, and you, you know where I'm going with this, Mr. Producer, the old fallback, because not all the time may you find yourself in a position or a place where you can escape. Very true. And you're being triggered. So you must have the wherewithal, you must have the ability, deal with whatever the immediate environment is you know, pushing your way and causing, you know, you to experience cravings, et cetera, you must be able to deal with that and not negatively respond. That has to be a goal that's in your ability toolbox because you never know where you may find yourself by no fault of your own. And you don't have the immediate ability to remove yourself from that. What's my old uh, example that I use? Being stuck in an elevator. Yeah, the ele- I was just going to say, this is the elevator, uh, the old elevator speech and, right here. Yeah, you must be able to, you, you want to be able to get to a point in your recovery where you could be in an elevator or stuck in an elevator with 15 people and they're doing drugs and it has no bearing or impact on what decision you make. That's ultimately where you want to get to. That doesn't mean that you may purposely put yourself in that situation. Of course not. But just in case you find yourself in that situation, you right. won't be able to cope with it responsibly and appropriately. So that's escape. Yeah. Go ahead. And I, I was just going to add, yeah, and, and so to speak to escaping and the elevator analogy that, yes, in a perfect world – you won't have to find yourself in that position. And even in a realistic world, it's probably not very likely that you're going to find yourself in that position. But this is something that we kind of preach to the clients all the time, right? Like in this program, um, and in probably many programs, recovery-related, that you'll experience, things are going to be blown up. The picture is going to be blown up. So in the real world, it's not super likely that some of the ways we blow things up will actually ever get to that point. But the point is, if we get you to a place where you can deal with even the unlikely scenarios or the blown up scenarios and you have a way of getting through those, then the realistic situations will be no problem for you to handle. And the elevator kind of analogy is the perfect analogy for that, right? So even though it's not very likely that you'll ever find yourself in that kind of a position, if you ever do and you can get through that kind of position, then there's not any kind of normal scenario that you won't be able to navigate your way through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now, can you hear me okay, Mr. Producer? 
Certainly can. There okay. was a little an echo there for a while. That might have been while you were going safety line plus reconnecting to the main line. Yep, yep, yep. So let's move to uh, accept. Or let me properly let me. Some, sometimes I have to police the New York accent. How do you guys say it out here? You guys use the strong A or the or the or the weak A? Uh, as far as accept or accept? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you probably should use the strong A because there is a word that's spelled E-X-C, accept, when it's like uh, either this, uh, I want all of this except the cheese. Uh, and if you say accept like you say accept, then no one can really know what you're talking about other than the context. But I think traditionally we go accept. We go soft A. We'll hit you with the soft A out here. All right. <laughs> Accept. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So what that deals with is kind of uh, having an understanding of your cravings when they come. So this, again, ties into a little bit of self-awareness. You know, what's, what's at the root cause of this craving at this moment in time? And then how do I... With that knowledge, how do I then use that knowledge to then respond to the craving positively? And it, and it certainly doesn't mean that you get to ex, ex, uh, escape the discomfort of the craving. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you can be aware of when it's happening. I Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm, I seem to be craving this right now craving using this drug what's behind it why am I craving it so it's like this self-analysis why is a self-analysis very important well you are not always going to be around others that are going to on the other side of the passive aggressive uh, scale aggressively confront you on what's going on so this is a skill that you have to develop on your own to do to yourself, i.e., talk to yourself, having a conversation with yourself about what are you experiencing, what are you feeling, why do you believe or think it's happening, etc. Being able to put your cravings into perspective, understanding that they're normal, and most importantly, that they will pass if you allow it. So that's accept. D stands for dispute. This surrounds diagnosing the situation that you're in at the very moment, tying it back to, like making a connection, establishing a connection to uh, a similar experience that you had either out on the streets or in a you know, previous part of your life, etc. And using that positive, and it must be a positive experience. That's the key. It has to be a positive experience. And using that to, to they use the word disarm the power of the craving. So you're basically turning the, 
what your old meaning of when you were when you were craving drugs, turning that old meaning on its head, different round of what it means when you're craving. These are basically what they would call mental gymnastics, mental judo. Because as we all know, the power of all this is rooted in our minds. All of this power is rooted in our minds. So the more that we can develop our minds to ward off the impacts of cravings and, and other thoughts that we may have, um, the better. But it obviously takes practice. Developing that mental judo and mental gymnastics takes practice. And, and by the way, we mean positive mental judo, positive mental gymnastics, not the, the addict's version in terms of rationalizing in a negative way to excuse negative behavior. We don't mean that kind of mental gymnastics. Yep. Because as we do know, Mr. Producer, historically, we know how our addicts <laughs> can <laughs> twist right. things in their mind to rationalize something that they may be doing or planning to do that is not in their best interest. Mental gymnastics that would put the United States women's gymnastics team to shame. Exactly. And and the whole purpose of these mental gymnastics is to it facilitates the feelings of the cravings passing through quickly. So you're using the power of your thinking, the power of perspective, the power of connections to basically just like it said, you know, you're, they use the word dispute. It's really for me more disarmed. You're, you're kind of taking the power of what that craving means and just turning it on its head. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And then the last one in the acronym D E A D S S is substitute. So when you get that craving, you develop the ability, the process, to quickly substitute those thoughts, engage in an activity that will, um, that's beneficial, that's fun, that's positive, that, like exercise or something like that, that takes your mind off those thoughts. And the, the number of things that a person can do to substitute is endless. It pretty much comes down to a person's skills, their abilities, and their preferences. So what, as long as it's positive, whatever it is can be used at that moment in time to substitute for those thoughts. And again, that's again a, a, a mental tool. It's a mental tool because it's not you're not addressing you're not doing anything in the physical meaning you're not addressing a physical aspect. These cravings come into you these come in your mind that are negative tied to the craving that may instinctively drive you to want to act in one negative way or the other, and you have to be able to quickly counterbalance that and counteract that. So. Yeah, it's a hat. I, don't, a I, hat. I know it may, it may sound it may sound complex. It isn't. It may sound difficult. Depends. That depends. 
difficulties in the eye of the beholder is always tied to desire. If someone, uh, for example, Mr. Producer, you're aware that you know we often get people who have been in recovery, let's say, in excess of a year, and sometimes they speak to still having cravings periodically or what have you. And again, that's a generality. That's kind of vague information. I would want to know, you know, when you do have them, are they tied to, a, you know, you know, under what category would they fit? You know, what's, what might be triggering these cravings when they do happen? Um, but if you're having them after a year of exposure to treatment, treatment concepts, and so on and so forth, um, I would want to know whether or not you are implementing, putting into practice all of the, the knowledge that you have gained in that, in that year plus of experience. Because if you're not putting anything into practice, this is not magic. This is not magic stuff, you know, and, and sprinkle dust or whatever you yeah, call it. Yeah, right, right, it's right. Ma- magic right. dust. You actually have to uh, do something. Again, there's no free lunch. It doesn't, you know, we're not going to put our, you know, people aren't going to put their hands on you and all of a sudden you're blessed with the Holy Spirit and, you know, and magically, you know, cravings disappear without you doing anything and, uh, you know, recovery takes hold without you doing anything. It's not how it works. You have to do work. Very true. I used to tell clients that all the time. I say, you know, it's not the program itself that works the wonders. All of you clients at the end of the day have to do the work. So, you know, we don't expect that, you know, OCG is not built on some holy burial ground from however long ago. And all of a sudden, by virtue of having gone through our intake process and stepping foot on OCG soil, you're, you're cured. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into the process and we don't expect it to just happen overnight by virtue of, you know, sleeping in a bed that that uh, rests over some sort of sacred, blessed soil. You got to do work. One of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that the residential environment does for the addict just new into treatment, just new into the recovery process, is that it provides a backstop for them in terms of dealing with the cravings. So as long as they don't leave, the, you know, they are kind of forced to go through it, live through it, experience it, and not act off of it negatively. So the hope is that while they're going through that experience of the craving and, and experiencing it from beginning to end, end meaning that's when it goes away, you're not experiencing it anymore, that they kind of take notice of what the experience is like, how, what they feel as they go through the experience. These things are very important because, one, it, it heightens your awareness. Two, it gets you into practice of identifying what you're feeling and putting names to it. And we will be doing that show again on the feelings. It's been a couple of years, so we'll be doing that. Um so they have kind of like an advantage that over somebody who is not in the residential environment, but they're in, let's say, outpatient treatment. So they're kind of left to their own devices and their own living in their own head of 
how they're going to deal with these cravings that are coming early in the recovery process. Sure. So, but that certainly doesn't mean that the person in the residential treatment has not historically acted off of it and left the safety of the residential environment. That has happened. Okay. That's a huge step, but it has happened. So both, both of them, regardless of where they are, have to apply the same principles. Number one being, I, got, I have to put the brakes on, you know, doing something behind the craving. You know, I just have to stop. Do nothing. At the, you know, at, at the very least, do nothing. Or what's the doctor's uh, Hippocratic Oath? At first, do no harm. Right, right, right. So at first, do no self-harm. And that means even if you're doing nothing, even if you're not uh, engaging and implementing any positive uh, and, and aggressive steps, positive aggressive steps, don't do anything negative. Then you hope that the person will speak to what they're experiencing. Remember, we talked about it—the silent, you know, the, the silent, the silence, suffering in silence. I don't know where else but in the treatment environment, that being the best place where you can talk about, yeah, I'm having cravings right now. If you can't talk about it in treatment, where else can you talk about it? That has no, always that was, mystified that's always mystified me. Yeah, and you know, and I was gonna add, uh, when you had started talking about that, and I think it has gotten much better today than it was I don't know, I'll reference maybe ten years ago. When where it almost you, felt I was going to say that back back when you used to get put in the pot sink for expressing it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, right? Like 10, 15 years ago, where, boy, you better watch out and tell somebody you're craving, uh, you're feeling like getting high or feeling like using your drug of choice uh, and watch yourself get blasted by 10 people in the next available group about why are you even here? You might as well pack up and go because clearly you're not invested. Like, whoa, man, I was just honest with a group of people about, hey, man, I, for whatever reason, I'm feeling like getting high right now. And it's like they're packing my stuff for me. <laughs> and uh, and so definitely I think we've gotten we've gotten much better over time and uh, in, in kind of uh, being accepting to, to the idea or the notion that, hey, man, just because somebody is having a craving or somebody's feeling like getting high – you know, uh, even a couple of months into treatment that, you know, that doesn't mean that they don't care or that doesn't mean that they're not putting in any effort. And we're, we tell people all the time, honesty, that philosophy is hanging at the very top of the wall there. And if people can't be, you know, genuine or honest about how they feel, you know, what good is it to have a client just tell you for 12 months straight in treatment that, uh, well, no, I don't want to get high anymore. I feel great. That part of my life is behind me. And then the first day they get on phase four, relapse. And, you know, what happened to all that? Well, you know, in truth, I was kind of having cravings on and off throughout my entire treatment, but I just felt like I would be judged if I put that out there. So I just told people what they wanted to hear to save myself the grief. And I never got to, you know, the real chance to deal with, hey, man, I'm putting it out there. I'm sharing with my peer. I'm sharing with my big brother. I'm sharing with my roommate at night when we're, we're bunking down for the evening that, dude, today was rough, and I felt like getting high and being able to get some real kind of positive, genuine support behind that. Hey, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Are you okay? Want to go get some water? You want to talk about it? What's behind that? What do you think is going on? And 
And being able to work through that process to A, A, first and foremost, learn that it's okay that you're feeling this way. It's okay to feel like you want to get high. It's okay to have cravings. That doesn't mean that you're not invested in your recovery or that you're destined to fail. This is how you're feeling. That's totally okay. And then B, like you said, the beautiful thing about the question is it 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 armors and gives ammunition to folks with experience, whether it be an older member or a staff member or or a counselor, whatever the case may be. Uh, it, it gives us the ammunition to ask questions, to dig a little bit. Now that you know, we've told you, hey, okay, no sweat. You're feeling that way. Happens to the best of us. What's behind that? What do you think's going on? Did anything happen today that triggered you? You feeling down about something? And this kind of exploration is what eventually taps into a client being able to really discover something about themselves. Ah, yeah, you know what? I had a kind of a bad phone call with my girlfriend or, you know, I got some bad news about my family or, you know, my kid just got in trouble at school or whatever the case may be. Okay, well, now we're getting information about you. So when you encounter stress, that can be a trigger for you to relapse or when you encounter, uh, you know, sadness or, or depression or loneliness or whatever the case may be, this is a trigger for you. Well, now that we've discovered that, Let's try and figure out, hey, when this feeling happens tomorrow or next week or whenever you feel this again, what are some coping tools? What are some ways we can we can get through this so the next time you feel this way, instead of getting high being the first thought that comes to your mind, it's this new coping tool that we've learned. Hey, let me go shoot a couple of hoops out on the basketball court. Let me go uh, hit the weights a little bit. Let me uh, listen to some music. Let me journal. Let me... Uh, go shoot some pool. Let me talk to somebody. Let me get in the kitchen and maybe help cook dinner because whatever the case may be, but you're never going to get to that point. If there is a culture of uh, the second somebody tells you they feel like getting high, do you am right now, do a room search on them, put them on spare parts. There's something crazy going on here. And we, we never get to that, that whole cycle. The, the beautiful cycle of learning about oneself when someone can be honest about how they feel without the fear of repercussion. I just want to say that um, as David Deitch said when we interviewed him that I am not a party to the uh, little fascists that uh, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> occupy our programs and <laughs> yes. do things that were never intended in the therapeutic community. Right, uh, right. Because the therapeutic community was built and designed for people to be able to freely talk about anything and everything and to be uh and for the family to support them. Exactly. Exactly. So. Well, you know, in so therein lies kind of the beauty of the TC and also the, uh, you know, I don't want to call it like the Achilles the, heel. The, yeah. The Achilles heel. Maybe the Achilles heel is a good way to describe it, right? That, that truly in some aspects, and you touched on it a little bit ago and said, this is why you think this is so powerful and beautiful and exciting. Uh, the, the kind of the way it all comes first full circle and is connected is because the TC really it is kind of like a living, breathing, almost like a 
biological organism, uh, you know, organism or matter that that has a whole bunch of systems and checks and balances to keep it going the way it's supposed to be going. And just like with any living biological biological organism, you know, there can be a virus, there can be a bacteria, there can be an infection, right? That that grows and knocks things out of alignment. And when that happens, that needs to be attacked to bring things back to equilibrium. And because when those things happen, if they're allowed to continue to grow or spread out of control like a cancer, so to speak, uh, eventually it, it'll take over. And then anybody who knows the TC could come on the property for a visit and see instantly, oh, yeah, wow, this is, uh, you know, the TC is not, is not functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning. And so things need to be brought back to status quo um, in order for it to exist the way it's supposed to exist. And it's just kind of a byproduct or, or the nature of the TC. When you have 20, 30, 40 folks uh, from younger members on up running the community, all it takes is a couple with a couple of different personalities to start dealing with things or attacking things a certain way. And if it's not squashed instantly, before you know it, that just becomes the norm. And then everybody new coming in, that's just what they were first taught or what they first seen. And now to them, oh, that that is the way it's supposed to be. Yep. Well, that's all I got on cavings to cravings. That's uh that was a good episode. Yeah, that's that's good to touch on that. It, it's good to bring to light too. We got some callers, you know, for the recovery sport time segment on hold here. I see that. Um, but good to bring that to light, you know, to to let folks know it's okay to feel that way and it's okay to express it and it's okay to to you know put it out in the community and seek help behind it. I had a client come to me the other day. It's so funny that this is the episode right now because literally a client came to me yesterday. And said to me, you know, man, I, I really feel like drinking right now. I really feel like having a drink. And we were able to talk about that a little bit. Okay, you know, you you feeling all right? A little overwhelmed? little, you know, uh, this client had just um, been with his caseload counselor and um, was dealing with some personal matters, paying bills or doing, you know, dealing with some, tending to some personal things. And he said... When dealing with these things, you know, it can it can feel overwhelming. It can feel uh, it's anxiety provoking. And when I feel that way, yeah, I tend to, you know, what I feel like having a drink. And we were able to have a little, you know, a little 10 minute conversation just about that, just about that. and Nothing else. And, and what's behind that? Why do you think that is? And hey, man, you, it's cool that you talk about it and put it out there and you're still here and you're still doing the right thing. And this feeling will pass. And we were kind of able to move. Uh, move along with that and he left that conversation feeling a little better uh, and so cool that this topic was the topic of the day because it's kind of perfect timing and it happens and we do want to uh, create an environment that's conducive to folks putting how they feel out out into the out into the community and did and did you send them straight to the pot sink right after the conversation was done i said when dinner's done you got to be on the pot sink buddy i appreciate the honesty but uh clearly you're not as invested as you need to be so let's scrub some dishes and think about that 
that's a good just one. like that so great all right great topic well we uh we have a little music break lined up for everybody out there again we do see we got some callers on the recovery uh support time line here and that is the segment we're getting to next so we hope you guys have enjoyed the show those who are listening to this point um we appreciate the patience as well and we will get to phone calls on the other side
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Boom. <laughs> X-Files time, and we're going to add, before we get into the recovery support time segment, upon a little digging, and uh, I, I guess we're not to let blog talk off the hook entirely, because for about four years... They've been throwing shenanigans our way and curveballs our way left and right. But we can say, uh, as a matter of official record, today we had what is known as a user error on the host's end. It was not at all Blog Talk who gave us the boot. Thank goodness for them. They have treated us with respect today. But the host indeed accidentally muted his microphone Hence the technical difficulty that we experienced in the first segment of the show. Is there anything you'd like to add or say about that, Mr. Host? It's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) I hit the button. You Uh, can't see the button. button. I hit the button. Hit the mute button. It's not on the screen. It's on. um, It's on my headset mic somewhere, and somehow it just—it's just laying in my lap, and somehow I hit it. So it is what it is. It happens. You can send me to the pot sink after the show. There it is. There it is. That might have to, that might have to happen right there. (laughs) All right. So let's do, uh, I got a couple of good, um, uh, X-File questions, but let's hit the phones first. Had some people holding a while. Let's go to, uh, Alan holding from, uh, EPA. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a question. Um, my question would be um, about three-quarters of the way through a uh, live-in residence recovery program and wanted to ask the advice um, of making an action plan for when I'm finished. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm new new to the recovery um, 
aspect of, of, of it all, and, and it's been a very great um, process, and, and, I, and I'm, you know, it's, it's really brought me a lot of motivation and, and help and everything, but um, I'm starting over kind of fresh once I get out of here, you know, with my life and, and, and the things I was doing previous to it, of course, don't want to go back to and mm-hmm. need an action plan. So this is probably something that will be touched on, you know, before you finish, but usually it's like kind of uh, set out into a couple of categories, housing, employment, legal, recovery slash relapse, and education. Okay. So from those things, a person would determine like where their areas of need lies most. So for example, someone who's already finished with school, they have no desire to go back to school, etc., they won't focus on that one. Someone who has no legal issues, they're not on parole, they're not on probation, they won't focus on that. If they are on parole or probation, they would focus on making sure they continue to meet the requirements of their you know, parole or probation so they can successfully complete it. Definitely. Employment. If the person has skills and they have an employment they can go back to, they do that. If they have skills and they don't have employment they go back to, they want to, you know, set as one of their goals that they're going to start to look for employment in their area of expertise. If they have no skills, do they want to get skills? And if so, in what area and what's going to be required? Do they need to go to vocational training? Do they need to go to junior college? What do they need to do to get what they want? And whatever that is, start doing it. And then Got it. the biggie, the biggie is always housing. Okay, where am I going to live? Who am I going to stay with and all that stuff? What's the plan? So that's yeah. pretty much how it goes. And not all of those things are going to be lined up perfectly beautiful when a person is ready to finish okay some of those things are going to start at the end or they're going to dig deep into it once they're finished some of it they're going to start while they're still in the treatment recovery process uh in a program but either way the key thing is having a plan definitely and and this kind of helps organize it so the person can then focus on the things they need to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple. And that's the way you should keep it. Definitely. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, you're very welcome. Thank you. Probably vastly different Mr. Producer from uh, your 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 days 15, however many, 20, I don't know how, however many years ago it was uh, and and yours is very vastly different from what mine was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. different dynamics in play you know, in, in, in Daytop back east when you were upstate and you were you were just doing your treatment and you really didn't focus on any of those quote unquote plan things until you got into reentry. Um, out here, obviously it's set up a little bit differently and you start working on those plan things while you're kind of still connected and in and in the treatment environment. 
and you're still in the treatment environment back where you know back in in the daytime uh, uh, method of doing things, um, but not in the intense residential environment. Yeah. So. All right, let's go to who we got. Brian from uh, Sac- Sacramento. How's it going? Welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, I was wondering, do you have a, a healthy alternative for smoking uh, when triggered by anger in a relationship? So, you're in a relationship. Yes. And when you get uh, angry in that relationship, you use cigarettes as a means of coping. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I think for starters, we could say that of all the possible things a person can do to help them in their coping mechanisms with anger... This is not the worst. Correct. Okay. So let's start from but, there. It's not the worst. Yeah. Is it the Definitely most? Uh, is it the most physically healthy? Physiologically healthy? No. But it's still not the worst. No, it's something that me and the wife agreed upon to like. Uh, that way, I didn't really have to take off in the car or anything like that, and it, I don't want it to be, really be a problem to the kids. I was looking for a healthy alternative. Okay. So right now, yeah. so right, so right now, it's you know, if 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 I get in an uproar, and it's getting to a point where I don't want, you know, I want to calm it down, I'll step outside and I'll have a cigarette. Right. Okay. So what you have to ask yourself is, okay, what other actions or activity can I engage in that's positive that has the same calming effect? Because you have to understand and, something. And gets me out of the argument. Okay, well, I'm going to speak to that in one second. But you have to yes, understand, sir. the nicotine that you, when you smoke the cigarette has a mood-altering effect. Do you understand Correct. that? Yes, sir. Okay, so, so the nicotine plays a, you know, plays a role. Right. But let's put that to the side for a second. Okay. Let's, let's first agree on one truth. You said you're you said you're married. Mr. Producer right. Mr. Producer is married. Your your humble co host is married. Yes indeed, yes indeed. Okay. And I think Mr. Producer it's safe to say you and I are in agreement that we can tell this caller that there's no such thing as getting out of an argument. Yeah. Right, yeah, there there are uh, temporary fixes, but if I understand correctly, your cigarette is a means to escape the argument. You have then successfully managed to escape the argument for 7 to 11 minutes? Correct. And then maybe go back and, and, and address it in a calmer state. So I was looking for a, a healthier manner, maybe um, that, that I don't know, maybe like picking weeds or something. I don't know. Have you ever that's thought what, about just... she's trying to say, so... Because she yeah, don't like, I mean, she says it's affecting the budgeting and everything in the house, and it leads to more arguments. Sure. What I mean, what about just just taking time for the sake of taking time? 
uh, letting your significant other know, ah, you know what, I'm getting a little worked up right now. This argument is getting to a place where it's not very productive. Could you give me five or ten minutes to, to get some fresh air, go get a drink of water, and we'll discuss this when I've calmed down. It's just kind of putting that out there like that to where that's that now been communicated it kind of frees you up to take that break that you need without needing the excuse of a cigarette because you were just honest about needing a break from the conversation yes that works that works well thank you very much absolutely all right have a good day all right thank you Well, I think um, it's safe to say that uh, we didn't get a chance to ask him how long he's been married to determine <laughs> to determine right. whether or not he was – is he a rookie? Is he a five-year vet, 10-year vet, 20-year vet? You know, all that makes a difference. You know? Very true. Cause, you know, very, very oh, true. But- over a period of time, you know, you learn, you grow, you evolve, you mature, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, you come up with, uh, you know, productive and uh, positive ways for um, surviving the argument. Yeah, uh, yeah. So next time I'll remember to ask him how long he's been married. Right, yeah. You imagine maybe it would be kind of fresh because, yeah, the idea that you could you – could, Vade, elude, or escape an argument like Barry Sanders used to do to tackles is a uh, uh, fantasy. No such thing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. However, it is important. First of all, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. We're good. We got okay. about 25 minutes here. All right, good. Um <clears throat> What he should know, what he should know, is that avoiding the argument is the worst mistake you could make. <laughs> true, true. You don't want to let it fester. Because exactly. And being aware. So what I gather, this was unspoken. This was unspoken. He didn't say this, but this was unspoken. What I gather is the significant other may have an issue with his presence when he gets, you know, in an uproar. You mean, you know, the way his presence becomes. And so what he decided to do was in order to uh, short circuit that and stop it from getting to that point, I'm going to step outside. I'm going to have a cigarette. And to me, that's, that's a wise thing to do wise thing to do however it doesn't uh, it doesn't address head on the issue that may be you know apparent at that moment in time so if his intent was you know what I'm going to self-regulate which is absolutely the right thing to do self-regulate no one knows you better than you no one knows you when you're getting to that edge okay and you need to pull rein yourself in Okay, to be aware is to be alive. Rein yourself back in and divert 
the energy somewhere else, whatever that may be. And so he says, rather than getting in my car and going for a ride, that's a wonderful thing to do, or going for a walk. Well, you know, you have to dissipate that physical energy. This is probably why, uh, unless driving is a very good meditation tool for you, you want to dissipate that energy. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, you risk just coming back in with the same energy level. Yep. The whole purpose of the break is to dissipate that energy. Right, right. So, and what you're what you're hoping is that it's happening on both sides, obviously, because he can only he can only be in control of himself. You can only be in control of you. So you just do what you can do. <clears throat> dissipate the energy and then go back in. <clears throat> but ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, what he has to learn, and this is where we don't know how long he's been married, is there's resolving it and there's ending it. <laughs> right, right. Those are two different things. Very, very different things. <laughs> exactly. So we should have said, okay, what's your goal? Do you want to resolve this argument? Or do you want to end the argument? <laughs> well, I'm, right. I want to resolve it. Okay, well, let me just tell you this right now. You will resolve it, but the argument will never end. <laughs> That's right. So I recommend... That you go end, go end. Don't go resolve, go end. End it. Take the yeah. two for the two for one. Two for That's one right. special. <laughs> That's exactly we, right. We jest, of course. We jest. We we jest. <clears throat> we only speak from years and years of experience. True enough. Let me hit one of our uh, X File questions because there, there's a doozy in here, Mister Producer. There's a doozy in here. Oh boy! All right. Okay. Let, let's see what they're working with out there. It's, it's kind of deep. All right. So let me put on my uh, over-the-counter uh, ones, over-the-counter reading glasses. All right. Okay. Peter from South San Francisco wants to know why is abstinence such a major problem? And after so many years, and he has in parentheses fourteen, to be exact of recovery, and then relapsing, I need some new tools, exclamation point. Okay. So what I gather from this is that he's been doing his thing for 14 years and relapsed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why? I guess so he's asking, why is staying clean permanently such a major Issue and or yeah, so difficult. Yeah, and then he's exclaiming that I, I I just need some new tools, I guess. Or not that you may need new tools. Are there some tools you're not using that could have come in come in handy to prevent the relapse? I because think that's we, the bigger piece. Absolutely, because we very well know that you know the. The relapse, especially if you've been clean for 14 years doing your thing, you know, a relapse ain't going to sneak up on you. Right. It ain't going to come from around the corner out of nowhere. This is something that has been brewing. And you then, you, Peter, you then actuated it. You made the ultimate decision to pick up and use. So the question becomes... It's not really, well, why is abstinence such a major problem? Abstinence is not a major problem. People do it all the time. 
in many different areas of life, people abstain from things that they don't believe is in their best interest. So it's not that it's a major problem. It's not a major problem. It's why after 14 years of sobriety did you relapse? What happened? In what way, shape, or form did you stop tending to your recovery? What did you stop doing? What did you brush to the wayside? And it's it's very important to point out, by the way, I'm a firm believer that if somebody is in recovery and has been in recovery a long time, the things that have made their recovery successful for them should be ingrained in their lifestyle to the point that it's not, it's not work because work becomes, you know, in this regard, work becomes tiring. So it should not be work. It should be because it's ingrained in what you do, who you, who you become and all of that stuff, it becomes effortless or should be effortless. You shouldn't be overexerting mentally, physically, emotionally, and all of that spiritually to make it happen as time goes on if it's ingrained it actually should get easier and easier but because it's ingrained and you're doing these things as just a normal part of your daily living you're adhering to those principles that you decided to you know hold as your own personal standard to live by and all of that stuff okay these are things you chose they weren't they weren't forced upon you. You said, you know what, I'm going to take that right there. I'm going to take that right there. I'm going to take a little bit of that. I'm going to sprinkle some of that in there too. And these things are going to become what my recovery lifestyle is going to be. And then you just live it. Right. That's that. So what did you stop doing that you had, you know, took taken on as your own, you know, Stuff, what did you stop? Those are the questions that have to be answered. Because the relapse doesn't just happen, boom, by snapping the fingers. Just how recovery is a process, relapse is a process. And we're That's in that very process. True. Yeah, we're in that process that this gentleman uh allow something to fall off of the uh, the wagon, so to speak. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't just crop up overnight all of a sudden. Right. We got to see where, where this rabbit hole began getting dug. So we ultimately... Um, can't directly answer his questions because we obviously created more questions, but in those more questions lies the answer. Food for thought when you're thinking about your own process. He exclaims at the end, I need some new tools. Well, there isn't quote-unquote new tools. It's the same tools and it's, it, that's like saying, if someone goes through treatment, 
bench two years from from the moment they enter the treatment environment until, let's say, they conclude, they graduate or complete, whatever you want to call it. Let's say it's from beginning to end is two years. Well, after that two-year period, if they uh, relapse, we don't invent new tools for them. There aren't any quote-unquote new tools out there. The question becomes, okay, what of the existing tools did you not put in your toolbox or did you stop using? Yeah, or yeah, or just didn't figure out how, how or when to apply or use correctly. Right, right. Because there's nothing really new under the sun when it comes to a lot, not only a lot of things, but recovery. There's no newfangled right. tool. Right. Like, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel out here. No. The same basic tools that you learned or should have learned during your treatment experience are the same tools that you have to. You may not use all of them, but you need to be aware of almost all of them because you never know what may come your way in life where you may have to pull something out of your toolbox that maybe you haven't used in a while. You know, I've had in my toolbox bolt cutters, which I probably haven't used in 15 years, but I had to use them in early May. For the first time in almost 15 years Because I lost Mm -hmm. the key to a lock I lost the key to a lock And I had to cut the lock Yep, yep But I never said Well, just because I haven't used this in 10, 12, 13 years Okay, I guess I don't need these bolt cutters anymore No, it stays in my toolbox But just in case, I might need it Same applies to the recovery tool Tools Next question. Where is that one? Oh, here's an interesting one. So we do. We, I'll say it again. We haven't said it in a while. We do our best to commit to answering whatever somebody puts forth, if it's on the subject matter of you know treatment, recovery, etc. And, and it touches it in some way, shape, or form. So here's one. You know, we've we've never gotten a question like this. So. I'll let you decipher it, Mr. Producer. Okay. This is from, uh, I'm going to say his full name, because I don't know if it's his real name, but I want to know if he's, is it The Rock is sending in questions? Dwayne Johnson? (laughs) (laughs) Could be, could be. The Rock from San Bruno, California. All right. Is there anything wrong with steroids? The ones that are legal. Not against the law. Is it natural for, and this is just by happenstance that it says for the, it says this, and we did a show on cravings, but it says, is it natural for cravings? Well, we don't know what, what the hell it's good for. We're not doctors, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the first part of the question. So, Mr. Mr. Producer, you're, you're into weightlifting. Indeed, I am. Steroids? Should they use steroids? Absolutely not. Absolutely not for multiple levels, and even the the um, 
the kind of qualification of the question about the legal kind, uh, that does not exist. The only time steroids are legal or are given legally are when a doctor prescribes um, like a testosterone booster for um, a male individual who might be at an age where his testosterone levels are naturally declining. And so you might a doctor might legitimately prescribe um, uh, a male individual some sort of testosterone booster, which which can be steroid-based, um, in order to uh, help with those levels, or even like a human growth hormone, so to speak, which has been shown to inc- increase, uh, I believe, um, testosterone levels. Now... Those are by default legal because there's a medical problem that's being addressed and a doctor's prescribing them. But I will tell you that, um, you know, to take it to the extreme and blow up the picture, you would not be allowed to participate in any kind of weightlifting or bodybuilding contest um, taking those kinds of drugs, even if they are prescribed, because it would give you an advantage over the other competitors, which can't take them legally. Uh, and by default, if they wanted to take something like that, would have to do so illegally. Um, and so all that is to say, yeah, there's, there's no real legal steroid you're going to take for weightlifting purposes other than, again, if a doctor is prescribing them to you for a medical reason, in which case that brings us to a question we get all the time about prescription medication um, and that, that that's okay to take as long as it's being used as prescribed to treat a medical condition uh, that we're not, um, you know, manipulating the doctor by looking up the symptoms on Google of low testosterone and making your next appointment to tell the doctor, uh, I've got low energy, uh, you know, I'm suffering from A, B, and C, and, uh, you know, as a backdoor way in to get yourself some steroids to help you in the gym. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> no, not, not, not good anyway, uh, you know, your biology and your body has a, a very good way of taking care of itself and finding its own balance as long as you remain healthy. Uh, and so if there's an amount of muscle you're trying to add to your frame that you cannot add naturally and need steroids to assist in that process, in the long run, it's probably going to do more harm than good anyway. That's right. We got time for another call? Uh, yeah, we do indeed. We got about six, six seven minutes. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name, please, and your hometown? Giuseppe. Hi, welcome. How can we help you? Um, Well, I'm new to recovery, and I was wondering what I should do if I felt like leaving a program and going and using. Don't. Is it that easy, though? Because the craving is bad, and... In a new environment, it makes it really hard when I'm not used to being around certain people. I'm around a whole bunch of strangers, and, yeah, it's just I feel like the streets keep calling me. I'm fighting it every day, but it's hard. What are you doing? I'm in a program right now. No, I'm not. So how are you fighting it? What are you doing to fight it? I exercise. I try to talk with my peers. 
I look for for guidance from people who have been in the in in just a little bit longer than I have, and see and, what they and, say. And they say the same thing: just don't. How long you've been in, you know, starting your a recovery week. process? A week, seven days. Yeah, that's that's when it's at its most intense. So, yeah. and each time. Each time, so let's let's say let's say worst case scenario, you make a bad decision and you decide to, up, oh, I'm done, I'm giving up on my recovery process, I'm out of here. Let's say you do that. Well, the next time you start again to try and get this recovery thing jump started, you're going to experience the same thing. You're gonna, so you you have to. This is part of the process of paying the piper. If there's no, there's no free lunch. It's not easy, and because of that, when you overcome this period of time when you, the cravings are so intense and they're getting ready to drive me out the door, you'll be able to look back and say, wow, that was intense, but but I survived it, and there's a valuable lesson in that. That's exactly that what by, I've been saying. I've been saying it's intense. It is intense. Yeah. But it doesn't stay intense. Okay. And that's what you have to trust. It does not stay intense. It is very intense. In the, it, it, it's in cascading downwards, downwards in intensity through the first 30 days. So you could say the first day that it's most intense, day 30 will be, it's in, in context, it's least intense. But in between there, it's going to be cascading, but cascading downwards. And what happens is, when do you think people give up the most? In the beginning? In, the, in that, first, that first week to ten days. Okay. But, as I told you, they don't realize it in the moment when they're making the decision, but the reality is that every, if, if you don't do it now, the next time you try it, you're going to go through the same thing, and you, you're always going to have to get over that hump. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Okay. I guarantee. I guarantee it. Okay. Thank you. Now wait a second. Mhm. What are you willing to give up to get that light? I've just surrendered. I'm. I give up. I've given up my my old lifestyle. Everything I thought I, I knew about life, I've given it up, and I'm, I'm trying to learn a new way to All live. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to give up one thing, not something okay. as grand as what you just stated, but something a lot more simpler than that. So the only thing that the universe is asking you to give up just right now at this moment in time is the option that you are giving yourself of leaving stepping outside stepping out from your recovery giving up on it so the universe is saying I, I only want this from you right now and that is give me that option give it to me take it away and in exchange I will give you that light at the end of the tunnel that you asked for Would you say that's a fair? Would you say that's a fair exchange at this moment in time? Sounds like a very fair exchange. I would agree. Very it's a fair, fair exchange. Very fair. 
So consider that. Okay? Thank you. I will. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 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 Tell you that well, first 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 two weeks, man. Woo! Yes, man. Goes right back to our trimester shows. Uh, he certainly called in on the right show, though, on the right topic day. Mm-hmm. That's you know, it, it, there it is, right there. And seeing so the hope that we were speaking about, man, that this guy is in an environment right now that is not only conducive to him putting that out there, but is encouraging him. To, to put that out there and letting him know that he will be supported if he puts that out there. Right. <clears throat> that's what we need. That's 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 what the TC is all about. How much time we got, sir? Uh, you got about 40 seconds to say your piece, and then I'm signing us off. All right. So uh, th- this, is, this is what I feel about the, um, the Cavs' chances of coming oh, yeah, away. With uh, victory uh, in this series. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that is it. And with that, there is no better way to sign off for all you Warriors fans out there. Uh, we can taste yet another championship, our third and fourth years, which will be sweet. Uh, I will be sure for to be the voice of all those fans to rub it in the New York counterparts' face, the host that I work with here on this radio show. Uh, there will be signs adorned on his office door at the facility, rest assured. Uh, and with that said, um, as always, we'd like to thank everybody for the ongoing support, folks who called in just to listen to the show, as well as folks who called in to participate for the Recovery Sports Time segment. Uh, you all are the reason that we do this show and put it out there. New Zealand, I uh, hope you all are listening. You're all number two, so keep up the views and the listens, archived or live. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope to be back, you know, two to three weeks again as, as things progress and we move forward with all the new happenings in the program. We hope to get back a little more consistently, but we'll probably talk to everybody in about two to three weeks. Uh, as always, we hope that everybody has a safe and productive couple of weeks here and a safe and fun couple of weekends. We will catch you all on the other side. Shine.
that's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.